if you have uh, brought your scriptures with you, would you please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Before I teach this morning, I want to pause for a minute and say a prayer for people for whom the Christmas season is a real struggle. For many of us, it's a wonderful time. We have family get-togethers. It's uh, joyous. Uh, We have jobs. We are able to uh, give our families things that they don't need to tell them uh, what they already know, and that is that we love them and care for them. But there are many people for whom holiday seasons are horrible experiences. They are real miserable time because it reminds them of all that they do not have right now. And so um, I would like to stop and pray for any of you who are going to be reminded of what you are missing during this time so that God can provide for you in his special way. Would you pray with me? Lord, there are two kinds of blessings. One is to receive from you. And the other is to go to you because we have not received. We pray for brothers and sisters, not only in this congregation, but all through this land, all through this world, that we'll be reminded during this season of what is broken in life, what is lacking in life, what is sincerely desired but has not yet come. We know that there are emotional needs. We know that there are financial needs. And we would pray that in special ways that you would make us especially sensitive, any of us who can provide or help in those areas. Yet we know beyond what any of us can do, there will still be hurt during this time. God, would you please come to them? Emmanuel, God with them. And be the companion that they miss. Be the provision for them during this time. For their financial needs. And be for them something that they do not sense they have now. Help this to be a time when they know how adequate you are. And when their faith is increased because of their lack. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a conversation at the end of Jesus' interchange with the woman of Samaria. She says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now it's just a statement, but implied is the question, so who's right? Jesus picks up on the implied question. And this is his response. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship. Shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. The Samaritans were people who held uh, in in, uh, canonical stature, held as holy writ, only the first five books of the Bible. They had left out the rest of the Old Testament, the prophetic writings, those 
that give the real character of God. And so that's why Jesus said, you are lacking in your general knowledge of God. He said, we worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The word, the, the Greek word here is ek, means out from. It doesn't mean it still resides in, but God has chosen the Jews to come out from them for salvation. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We want to talk about worship during December for two reasons. First of all, because Christmas is one of the most worshipful times as we anticipate the coming of our Lord. Secondly, because as we anticipate 1992... And know that that's the time when we want to make a concentrated effort in realizing God's purposes for our life. That those purposes will not be intellectually discerned, they will be spiritually discerned. And therefore, the worship hones our spiritual appraisal. And that, therefore, it gets us ready for next year. Now, let's talk this morning in general terms about worship what it is, but first, what it is not. The Samaritan woman said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You people say to worship in Jerusalem. Which one is it? Which place is it? Now, I want you to see in this woman the human tendency to parochialize the Lord, to try to get him into one place where you have full access and that is translated into many languages, but mostly into the language, this is true worship. If you worship like this, if you worship here, then you have true worship. And implied is that if you don't, you don't have true worship. It's false worship. Some years ago, in the Chicago Tribune, there was a story about a woman in New Mexico who was frying tortillas. Now, those of you who have done that know that on the tortilla burn marks happen. And she was frying a tortilla and saw in the conglomeration of burn marks the image of the face of Jesus. Well, she got all excited. And she took this tortilla to her family. Do you see the face of Jesus? Well, yeah, I think I do. Then she got more excited. Took it to her neighbors. Do you see the face of Jesus? Well, yeah, I think I do. Got all excited ran to her priests and asked her priest to bless this tortilla. Well, the priest wasn't used to blessing tortillas. He'd never blessed one before. But her husband came, and she said, You know, my life is different since this tortilla has come into my life. And her husband said, Sure enough, she'd been happy and excited and about the Lord the way she hadn't been in years. And, and so the priest thought to himself, Why not? He blessed the tortilla. She took the tortilla home built a glass case for this tortilla, laid this tortilla on a bed of cotton balls so that it looked like the face of Jesus was floating on the clouds. She then invited any to come see the shrine of the Jesus of the tortilla. In the ensuing months, 8,000 people came to her home to see, to examine 
and to worship that tortilla. Now, what is there in us that needs so badly to localize God that we will go to the shrine of the Jesus of the tortilla to worship? It seems so ludicrous. But yet, I would submit to you, we do the same thing in our own way. What's the correct way to worship? What's the correct way to worship? How can we get God to the place where we have for Him so that we can always locate Him in that place? If we can find that true place, then we'll have it made. And so we parochialize, we narrow worship to the style to which we think is true worship. You think that we're free from that because we're not that superstitious. I would tell you that we're not. I constantly hear people say about, tell me which is the correct form of worship. There are people who tell me, I could never worship at your church because you have drums. Now, leave out the fact that there are percussion instruments in the Old Testament. Leave that fact out. But these literally are people who link worship with formality. And drums are not an instrument of formality. And therefore, God is left out of this place for them. By the same token, I hear people say, I can never worship in a formal church. It's too cold. God's not there. It's only form. I can't sense Him in marble. Is it on the mountain? Is it in Jerusalem? Which one is it? I hear people talk about architecture. You worship in a roller skating rink? And I hear some people say, yeah, cool. Roller skating ring, man. That's where God really is with His people. I hear, God, I hear people say, only in Gothic architecture. As if, as if Jesus knew what Gothic architecture was. Only in Gothic architecture can I, can I sense the majesty, the awesome majesty of God. You see how we parochialize our version of Jesus. There's the Jesus of the roller skate. Come, come worship at the shrine of the Jesus of the roller skate. Come worship at the shrine of the Jesus of the stained glass. Come worship at the shrine of the Jesus of the tortilla, which is most ridiculous. All of them are most ridiculous. You know the most wonderful building ever built was the temple of the Old Testament. Solomon built it as per God's specific instructions. Did you ever read the prayer of dedication at the end of that building process? Here is this magnificent building that has been painstakingly constructed under God's personal supervision. And Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, prayed this prayer. 1 Kings 8.27 God, you cannot be contained by the heavens and the earth. How can you be contained in this house that I've built? He knew the inadequacy 
parochializing the Lord. He knew that wasn't worship. See? Some of you know I teach at a Presbyterian seminary. Now, Presbyterians are straight thinkers, aren't they? They're sharp thinkers, good thinkers. The other day in class, one of my brightest students, this guy's a straight, I mean bright student, asked me a question I almost couldn't believe. He said, Dr. Hunter, how is it that you count yourself in the mainstream of Christianity, in the heritage of the apostolic tradition, yet you pastor a non-denominational church? Now look at this. If I were to ask this guy, do you believe that the Roman Catholic Church is the only church because of the doctrine of apostolic succession? That is, the doctrine that says the Pope is the direct descendant of Peter and that Jesus, when he said, on you I will build my church, really meant Peter. And so, therefore, the Roman Catholic Church is the only church with authority because of that doctrine of apostolic succession. He would say, as any Reformed thinker would, no, that's ridiculous. But yet, in his mind, being a good member of a denomination, he had parochialized his thinking into a doctrine of denominational succession. That in order to have access to the heritage of the Christian faith, to the faith of the apostles, you had to be in some sort of denomination. You see how we parochialize even the brightest, even the most sophisticated thinkers. And look at how we try to bring God down to where worship is a matter of Him serving us, Him becoming like us in the most subtle and charming ways. I heard a story the other day I thought was absolutely charming. It was about a rabbi who had gone to live in a little town. And every he was a wonderful man, and every Friday afternoon he disappeared. He didn't tell anybody where he was going. Eventually, it was rumored that every Friday afternoon, for an hour or two, the rabbi had disappeared and gone up to heaven. People believed it. Well, there's one in every crowd, isn't there? There was one guy that wanted to know for sure, so he followed the rabbi. He followed the rabbi into the woods on a Friday afternoon. And they watched this rabbi chop wood. And they watched this rabbi labor to take it to this widow's house, who was too old and ill to chop her own wood. And then he would come back to town. The next day... He was in town and heard somebody telling of the rabbi who every Friday afternoon went up to heaven. And when the man got done, this one who had followed him said, yes, he goes up to heaven. And he said, maybe even higher. Now, I thought that was a neat story, see? Because for me, being an American, the most practical is the most wonderful. It is the highest. And so I thought, there's something even better than going up to heaven. There's just serving your fellow man. I told that story to my 10-year-old. I said, yes, maybe even higher. My 10-year-old looked at me and said, Dad, there's nothing higher than heaven. There's nothing higher than being in the presence of God and worshiping Him. I said, Joe, you're right. Where? See, I had been sucked in to the mentality that said, in order for God to be the highest, He must serve us. There must be something where we benefit. See? 
That is a parochialization of God. Well, what's different then? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That we cannot contain God, but in every circumstances, every circumstance, we must see through those circumstances into a broader area of where God lives. And by that looking, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, that says, And we all with unveiled faith behold, face, beholding as in a mirror, beholding as in a mirror, we will, grace by grace, become more like Him. Now let me give you an example. How it is to see God through a world circumstance instead of contained in a world circumstance. And in every circumstance, we should be able to worship. That's the goal of life, to worship with all of life. Last week, I drug home, 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. The older I get, the more I drag, and the more often I'm dragging in the house. I knew by the time I got there that Becky would be asleep. She's tuckered out like I am at the end of the day and she's usually conked out on the couch waiting for me when I get home and uh, went to the back door and, and on the back door was a sign to the most wonderful man in the universe and below that sign was taped a bag of M&M's my favorite candy well I tell you what I was pumped you know my wife had written me a sign the most wonderful man in the universe. I got a bag of M&M's. I mean, my whole mood changed. Now, let me tell you what happened between the back door and the couch. No, it's not going to come out bad. It's going to come out good. I'm talking about worship here. I grabbed those M&M's and started walking. Now, it's not that far between my back door and my couch. Not that big a house. Just started walking. And I started thinking, how in the world could the woman who knows me better than anybody in this world write to the greatest man in the universe? How could she do it? She knows that's a lie. How could she do that? She can't really believe that. She lives with me. Immediately, I started thinking, how can God, who knows me better than anyone else, declare me righteous in Jesus Christ? How can He do that? He can't really believe that, can He? He knows me too well. And I began to worship a God as I was walking. Who could see me, who chose to see me, through the eyes of Jesus Christ, just like Becky chooses to see me through those eyes. And it is a choice. Then I started thinking, as I was walking, how in the world is it that I am so secure in this love? Practically every day, and at least every week, I hear about another relationship that has failed. And the more I look at them, the more I think to myself, oh no, 
is anyone exempt from this? And of course the answer is no. But it never occurs to me that that could happen to me. Now I know you think that's stupid, and it is. However, there is something in me, again, that immediately reverts to the faithfulness of God. That God will never leave me nor forsake me. And therefore, I can somehow carry that faithfulness into my relationship with Becky. Well, I'll tell you what, by the time I got to the couch, I was a happy man. Becky never did wake up, except there rubbing her feet, eating my M&M's. <laughs> Had one of the greatest times of worship I've had in a long time. But you know what? God was there. God was there. I didn't need to go anywhere. God was right there with me. And it's not only important for the joyous times. It's important for the tough times. We have a little girl in this this church family. You may have noticed her. She has been handicapped since she was born, and sometimes she sits up in this row right up here. She especially comes on uh, Monday evenings, but has been here many, many Sunday mornings. Thanksgiving, she fell and hit her head. She was doing fine Thanksgiving evening, but something happened between 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. She went comatose. There was pressure built on the brain, and the brain has shut down. There is no activity. There is only some activity from the brain stem that controls the autonomic nervous system. She can breathe. She has reflexes. But that's it. That's it. That's all. The doctors say that's all. I look at this mother and this grandmother who thinks that this little girl, Holly is her name, sat the sun and hung the moon. She had the most wonderful personality. And now it's not there anymore. But you know what I see in the mother and the grandmother is an act of worship that looks through this little body that lays in the intensive care unit of the pediatrics ward and sees through this little body to a time when God will take her and make her perfect. That's worship. They aren't looking and seeing and saying as they did at first, as we all do at first, God, why me? Come to me. They are saying, God, why not you? Let us come to you. 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine swore he heard the voice of God. The voice of God said this, I am the food for grown-ups. Grow and you will feed on me. And when you feed on me, I will not become like you, as happens with physical food. You will become like me. That 
is worship. Let us now go to the Lord's table and let us worship Him in spirit and in truth through the sacrament that He has given us. Before I call the ushers forward, let me instruct you, for those of you who have not taken communion here before, this is not the church's communion. This is the Lord's table. Therefore, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are perfectly welcome and urged to partake, to follow him all the days of your life. I would like to call the ushers forward now, and as they come forward, uh, I will tell you that I'm going to go through with you this morning the traditional ceremony. These prayers are hundreds of years old, and I want to read them and pray them with us all together. Let me also say that when these elements are distributed, if you would hold each element in your hand until all have received, and then we can take the Lord's Supper together. This is the traditional invitation. Ye that do truly and earnestly repent of your sins, and are in love and charity with your neighbors, and intend to lead a new life following after the commandments of God, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and make your humble confession to Almighty God. Pray with me in your spirit as I pray this prayer of general confession. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. Now let me pause here and ask you to personally and specifically take those sins in your life to God to ask for forgiveness. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of thy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear what comfortable words the Scriptures say to all that truly turn to the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the prayer of consecration. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of Thy tender mercy didst give Thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there by the one offering of Himself a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And did institute, and in his holy gospel, command us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until his coming again. 
Hear us, most merciful Father, and we most humbly beseech Thee. And grant that we, receiving these Thy creatures of bread and wine, according to Thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of His passion, death, and resurrection, may be partakers of the divine nature through Him. When the same night that He was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as oft as ye shall drink it in remembrance of me. Pray once more in your spirit with me as I pray the prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to partake of this sacrament of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that we may walk in newness of life and may grow into his likeness and may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen.